What is going on, New York Rangers fans? And welcome to episode 132 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. And welcome to the first episode of the year 2024. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you all had a great holiday season. I would say that I certainly did. We had a great time celebrating with family. This was the first Christmas where my son really had a concept of what Christmas is all about and Santa Claus and all that stuff. So we had a great time, except we did start passing this stomach bug around over the course of that week in between Christmas and New Year's. So we all had a couple days in that week where we weren't feeling so great. It kept me away from the team for a few extra days, but I am back this week. We took a week off from the podcast as well, and now I am rested, I am ready, and we are back into it for what amounts to be sort of the start of the second half of the season. The Rangers still haven't quite reached that halfway plateau yet, but they've played 36 games, and we are now fully looking ahead to the games that will be played in 2024, a few more months of the regular season, and then the playoffs. So we have a lot to discuss today. We will be having a conversation later on in this episode with Shayna Goldman of The Athletic. She covers the entire league. I mean, pretty much anything I could throw at her as far as Rangers or otherwise, if we're talking about other teams in the league as well. Shayna is on top of it. So we had a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed it where we spent a good chunk of time talking about the Rangers, what we're encouraged about with them and where we have some concerns. And then we also moved into the rest of the league and took a little time to preview the Thursday night game where the Rangers will host the Chicago Blackhawks and get their first up-close look at Connor Bedard. So all of that is still to come later on in the episode, but let's start with where we're at right now, and that would specifically be the 6-1 to loss that the Rangers are coming off of on Tuesday night when they hosted the Carolina Hurricanes. So this game, if you're talking about some of the most disappointing performances of the season for the Rangers, a season when they have not had many of them, but this one certainly ranks up there. The Rangers really had pretty much nothing go their way on Tuesday night, as you could tell by the final score. Certainly an off night for special teams. That was probably the biggest reason that the Rangers lost on Tuesday. They went 0 for 3 on the power play, pretty much got nothing at all going on their own power play. Only two shots on goal in those three power plays, a total of six minutes in which they really didn't even get to set up very often or or have the kind of possessions that you know they like to have on the power play. And then on the other hand, the penalty kill, which has been very reliable for the Rangers up to this point in the season, allows two power play goals in the first period to the Hurricanes. And with that, the Rangers fell into a hole and they never really were able to dig themselves out. The power play came into the night as the number one unit in the entire NHL. Now they slipped back to number two, I believe. But to me, 
it's hard to make too much of the special teams' failures in that game just because of how good they've been in those aspects of the game for most of the season. It's clearly, clearly been a strength of this team, arguably the biggest strength of this team. So I'm not going to get too worked up and say, oh, all of a sudden now the power play has a big problem or the penalty kill has a big problem. I think you're going to have these occasional off nights and given the success that we've seen them have so far this season they I think are allowed to have a little leeway in that situation I also think that when you look especially at the first two periods the third period we're going to talk about as a sort of its own separate entity but when you look at the first two periods it's not even like the Rangers allowed a whole lot at five on five only 14 shots on goal for the Hurricanes in those first two periods. And remember, Carolina is a team that prides itself on being a volume shooting team. They shoot the puck a lot, as much if not more than any other team in the NHL. And the Rangers were really able to limit them for the most part. Again, only 14 shots on goal in those first two periods. And if you look at some of the advanced analytics as far as scoring chances and things of that nature, they really didn't give up much at all at five on five in those first two periods. Now, the third period, again, the wheels kind of came off there. But when I'm dissecting that game as I'm watching it and even in the aftermath, it it didn't feel like the Rangers were getting run out of the building in those first two periods. It just felt again, like pretty much nothing was going their way. Now, offensively, I think there were some maybe bigger issues there because the Rangers didn't generate much at all in this game. Even the one goal that they scored, it was sort of a harmless long wrist shot from Jacob Truba. And then Chris Kreider does what Chris Kreider does by getting his stick on it and tipping it and deflecting it past the goaltender. But other than that, the Rangers did not have a whole lot of really dangerous opportunities in this game. And I think that was maybe some of the bigger issues as far as those first two periods were concerned is that the Rangers just couldn't seem to penetrate this Carolina defense. And that was what Peter Laviolette addressed on Wednesday. Now, Wednesday, the team did not practice. A couple guys skated when I went out to the ice. I I saw the goalies, Shesterkin and Quick, doing some work. I saw Zach Jones, who didn't even play in that game, getting a little work in. But for the most part, they devoted Wednesday to sort of off-ice activities and meetings and video review because I do believe that coming out of this game, there were some areas that Laviolette wanted to stress. There were some things that he wanted to address with the group that he feels needed to be corrected. And based on the conversation we had with him on Wednesday, a few of them that he mentioned specifically were getting inside, getting to the interior, creating traffic around the net front. I think the Rangers, especially in the last month or so, have been doing a much better job of that. I think whether it's getting tips and deflections or just causing havoc and screening goalies, I think the Rangers have been pretty effective at that, better than they certainly have been in the past, but they weren't able to get inside enough against Carolina, and that was the first thing that LaViolette brought up, whether you're talking about five-on-five or power play. Then beyond that, I think the Rangers' ability to advance pucks against this high-pressure system that we know Carolina likes to play. They're aggressive on the forecheck. They clog up lanes. They really make you work for every inch of ice that you're going to get. And you saw it. 
The Rangers had issue with their breakouts, which has been a problem in the past. Laviolette has worked hard to clean it up, and they've been better at it this season, but it still creeps in sometimes. And you could look specifically at that third goal that the Hurricanes scored from Jordan Martinuk, where the Rangers are attempting a breakout. Eric Gustafson has the puck behind the Rangers' net. And whether you want to call it a mis-execution, uh, I'm sorry, miscommunication, Peter Laviolette called it bad execution. Gustafson passed the puck behind him, sort of a no-look pass behind him off the back wall where he was clearly expecting someone to be there and there was nobody home. It was basically a pass to nobody. And then Igor is caught in this awkward position of, do I come out and play the puck? Should I abandon the net? What do I do here? And he seemed to hesitate for that moment as well. And then next thing you know, Martinuk has the puck and it's in the back of the Rangers net. So that was the most glaring example, but there were several occasions where it seemed like the Rangers were having difficulty breaking the puck out of their own zone. And then what stood out to me even more, and LaViolette addressed this as well, is that when the Rangers did have possession and did get out of their own zone and were coming through the neutral zone, once they got to that offensive blue line, it seemed like they were hitting a wall consistently, especially on the power play. I mean, they were not able to get set up in the offensive zone very often on the power play, which has not been the case. I mean, that first unit in particular for the Rangers has been humming this season, and it seems like they're able to set up and do pretty much whatever they want against a lot of teams. But Carolina was a different story, and it seemed like the Rangers were not able to enter clearly into the offensive zone. They were turning pucks over in those spots. They weren't maybe getting the puck deep enough a lot of times, like that simple approach that you need to take against a team like Carolina. They maybe got a little stubborn with it, but it seemed like even when they were trying to dump the puck in deep and simplify that they weren't able to retrieve it, Carolina was getting to it first. So it just seemed like no matter what the Rangers tried against Carolina, they weren't able to get those clean zone entries that they need to really set up their offense and create some quality scoring chances and weren't able to attack off the rush as well. So all of that, I think, was maybe the bigger concerns. You could harp on the special teams, and again, I do believe that was probably the biggest reason that they lost this game when you give up two first-period power play goals and you go 0-3 for on your power play, you're going to have a tough time winning. But I think the, the things that LaViolette was trying to harp on more today were some of these specifics that we're talking about, getting inside, breakouts of their own end, and then clean offensive zone entries. All that stuff is what Carolina makes really difficult on you. And the moral of the story probably coming out of this game is that Carolina is back. They had a rough start to the season. They continue to have major question marks surrounding their goaltending, especially right now with Freddie Anderson out. But when you look at this group, in front of the goaltending, and I do believe the goaltending is probably going to be an area they try to address at the trade deadline. When you look at this group in front of the goaltending, to me, on paper, with some of the additions that they've made, Andre Svechnikov getting back and healthy, Michael Bunting coming in on a new contract, the decor now with Orlov, their big free agent signing, deepening what was already a really deep group on the blue line. I think... Top to bottom, this Carolina Hurricanes team, when healthy, is probably as deep as we've seen it 
in recent years, at least as far as the skaters are concerned. And what they're showing you now, because they've been heating up recently, they've won four in a row, and they just hammered the Rangers at Madison Square Garden, is that while we've spent much of the season, when we talk about the Eastern Conference, focusing on the Rangers and the Bruins, and rightly so, they've earned that distinction with the way that they've played in the first half of the season, the Hurricanes are going to be a problem. The Hurricanes are going to be a team that, in all likelihood, the Rangers are going to have to deal with, whether that means dealing with for a Metro Division title, which right now, with that win on Tuesday night, the Hurricanes moved to within five points of the Rangers for first place. The Rangers started the season on fire, and it seemed like they built this insurmountable lead, but now all of a sudden the gap is closing. Or just if you look ahead to the playoffs, you are typically, the Rangers, even if they do get the the number one seed and win the division, they could play a team from either division in the first round, but if they get to the second round, they're going to be looking at another team from the Metro, and that would have a very decent chance, I think, of potentially being the Hurricanes. So you're probably going to have to deal with this Carolina team again. You're certainly going to have to deal with them again in the regular season. They play again in Carolina on March 12th, I believe it is. But I think Tuesday served as a reminder to me, to the Rangers, to pretty much everybody that Carolina is no pushover and they are going to be one of the teams that's standing in the Rangers' way if they want to get to the promised land. And then what we saw at the end of the game was the Rangers kind of folding. And unfortunately, in the few losses that they do have, they're up to 10 regulation losses now in the season. That's been a little bit of a common thread where it kind of snowballs on them late in these games. And Peter Laviolette was not happy with the third period. He said, I hate it, is the way that he phrased it at the post-game press conference. And then it resonated in the locker room as well because Jacob Truba came out, questioned their compete level in the third period. Vincent Trocek had similar sentiments. So the Rangers, the first two periods, if you look at them alone, you could say, well, they certainly got beat. They certainly have areas where they need to improve, but There were also a lot of things that kind of didn't go their way there, including a couple calls that didn't go their way there. But the third period, they they folded, and that was maybe the most disappointing part of that loss. So now what you have, and we sort of go back and forth in this, because in a lot of respects, the Rangers, it's hard to complain about much with them right now. They've arguably been the best team in the NHL through these first 35, 36 games of the season. But we've talked about it a few times on recent podcasts. There have been these little trends that are creeping in recently that make you sort of raise your eyebrow a little bit and wonder if they're coming back down to earth. I looked at this earlier this this afternoon. I knew that obviously they weren't winning at the rate that they had been through those first two months of the season. That's obviously cooled off. But this surprised me a bit here. The Rangers in their last 13 games are 7-6. and six. So they're only one game over 500 for about a month now. So it has been a pretty up-and-down month for them. They've had these little cold streaks. They've had some hot streaks. They've had these stretches where they're trading win-loss, win-loss, which is essentially what they've done since they came out of that Christmas break. And so now you're starting to feel like, okay, It's not that the Rangers are crumbling. It's not that all of a sudden they have these massive problems and you have huge concerns, but they are not playing to that level that we saw them play to 
earlier in the season. And a lot of it, I think, is some of those five-on-five concerns that we're talking about. We've talked about the defensive stuff in the past and the odd man rushes against and some of the cracks in that armor, the net front protection. I think they certainly need to tighten up in some of those areas and they're getting exposed in some of these losses that they've had recently. But then offensively as well, when you look at where their offense is coming from, Artemi Panarin is on fire, Hart Trophy candidate, scoring on pace to by far reached the highest total of goals he's had in a season. He's up to 23 so far in 36 games. His previous career high is 32, so it looks like he's going to absolutely blow past that. Little side note here, I had one of my favorite conversations with anybody so far this season on Monday when I sat with Panarin and talked about how much more he's shooting and obviously scoring so far this season. And he really had some fascinating answers. I thought he gave me three or four reasons that he believes that he is scoring so much more and shooting so much more this season. So if you haven't had a chance to check that one out, go to loha.com slash sports slash Rangers and give it a read. But beyond Panarin and, and his line obviously has been really good and the power play has been really good. But beyond that, the offense has been from a five-on-five standpoint, not as consistent as you would like it. And I think part of that is the injuries that the Rangers have been dealing with for the better part of two months now are catching up to them a bit here. The ongoing absence of Philip Heedle, the ongoing absence of Capo Caco. And when you look at their bottom six right now specifically, and this is something we're going to talk about with Shayna as well, there's not a whole lot of firepower down there. There's not a whole lot of production down there right now. So pretty clearly in my eyes, the Rangers are going to need some reinforcements. And that could come in the form of the injured guys. Capo Caco is progressing. Talked to Peter Laviolette again about this the other day. Been skating on his own for a few weeks now, clearly making strides toward returning from that leg injury. It does sound like there's a good chance he will be back before the March 8th trade deadline. So I would expect him to be a contributor for this team at some point again in the regular season. But the much murkier situation right now is surrounding Philip Heedle. And Laviolette confirmed this over the weekend that Heedle has returned to Czechia. I, I keep saying the Czech Republic, but I believe you're supposed to say Czechia now, his home country to basically what the Rangers are saying is a reset. They are easing off on his recovery right now from what we strongly believe is a concussion. And I told you guys this before that I had a source tell me that they believe Hedl has sustained at least four concussions in his NHL career. And obviously what we're seeing is the symptoms are worsening with each one. And this road to recovery from him has been really difficult from my understanding. And so Heedle has struggled to get back. He's skated on his own, but has yet to now, basically two months since his injury, been able to practice with the team. And it sounds like he had kind of hit a wall. Laviolette said himself the recovery process has been slow. It has not moved as quickly as they and Heedle would like. And so now they're giving him a reset. They're giving him a break. They're giving him some time to go home and basically try to get himself back to a place where he is comfortable playing hockey again. Because we've talked about this. 
This isn't just a hockey thing. This is this is a major life concern. This is a, a young man, a 24-year-old young man who is dealing with what we believe to be pretty severe symptoms as the result of multiple concussions. So his long-term brain health is the priority here. You you would love for him to be able to return and play hockey. You know me knowing Hedl the way that I've been able to get to know him a little bit over the course of these last five seasons. This is a guy who works incredibly hard and a guy who really prides himself in being a hockey player, loves the game, always, always one of the last guys off the ice after practice. Just a guy who you can tell wants to do everything that he can to maximize his career and get the most out of his ability. So I don't question his desire or anything like that in any way, shape, or form. But there also comes a point where when you're talking about brain injuries that you have to take a step back and make sure that you aren't jeopardizing your long-term health. And that is the stage where it sounds like Philip Heedle is at right now. So he's back home. We'll see how long he stays back home for. The possibility of him missing the rest of this season, or at least missing the rest of the regular season, seems to be increasing. We don't know. I'm not going to make any predictions on it. I don't think that would be fair or right of me to do. But I think that if you were creating odds for this type of thing, is he going to return this season? The odds, I'm not saying are unlikely, but they're certainly less likely than I think we thought maybe a month or two months ago. So, Right now, the Rangers are looking at a very real possibility that they might not have Heedle. And even if he does return, you're going to be on high alert for another reoccurrence of this. And so that means, A, they might be looking at the extra cap space that we've talked about at the trade deadline if he remains on LTIR. And B, I think you need to recalibrate what your priorities are going to be at the trade deadline. My thinking has shifted. I think at the beginning of the regular season, if you asked me or if you asked a lot of people, it seemed like right wing would probably be the Rangers' top priority at the trade deadline. But now I think it has to be center. Because again, even if Heedle is able to return, you need to have some backup plans, some protection in case he goes out again. And as we've talked about before, Plugging in a center versus going out and getting a winger, the center, there's more flexibility there because somebody, whether it's the center that you acquire, whether it's Heedle himself, whether it's a guy like Barclay Goudreau, who you know has experience playing all three forward positions, you can move one of your centers to a wing. What you can't do is go out and get someone who's exclusively played wing in their career and ask them to play center. So I believe from a versatility standpoint, from an injury protection standpoint, from a practical standpoint, center is looking more and more like it will be the Rangers' priority at the trade deadline. If you don't have Heedle and he's on LTIR, then you could think a little bit bigger. Then you could go out and get somebody where maybe you're taking on more salary than you originally anticipated. Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames is going to be the name you're going to hear a lot, not just for the Rangers, but I think in general, he is what a lot of people around the league expect will be the first center domino to fall. He is expected to be traded. Now, 
This is very fluid because we're still over two months away from the trade deadline. But he's a guy who, to me, would check a lot of different boxes, really strong defensive center, really strong faceoff guy, kills penalties, and also is fairly productive, very productive, I should say, offensively, almost a point-per-game player for most of his time in Calgary, which I think is like five or six seasons now. One of the more well-rounded centers in the game. Maybe not a true, true number one center, but certainly a top six caliber center. And if you plugged him in with Zabanajad and Trocek, all of a sudden the Rangers are arguably the deepest team in the NHL down the middle. So I'm not saying that I think that he is going to be a guy that the Rangers go all out for because it would cost a lot to get him. But if the Heedle thing materializes to the point where they know that he's going to be on LTIR for the rest of at least the regular season, then I do think it's something we can't rule out because the Rangers aren't in a mode where they're worried about holding too many assets for the future. They're in win-now mode. And if it means giving up a first-round pick, knowing that first-round pick is going to be a late first-round pick somewhere in the 20s or you hope in the, in the early 30s, then I think it's not out of the question that Chris Drury would be willing to give up a first-round pick if it's a player that he covets. Now, you'd probably have to throw something else into the pot as well, but Lindholm is a guy who, if we end up getting word in the next couple months that Heedle is going to not be back before the trade deadline and likely miss the rest of the regular season, all of a sudden that's a guy that I could see the Rangers targeting. Now, if Heedle is likely to return or if the bidding war gets too crazy for a guy like Lindholm. We got to see what other options emerge. I mean, the names you're hearing right now who seem most likely to be traded are Adam Henrique is an example from the Anaheim Ducks, Sean Moynihan from the Montreal Canadiens. Those are a couple centers who a lot of people believe will be traded. I did write about this last week while I was sick. So you can go and check out sort of the early scouting report, the early read on the names that a lot of people right now expect will be involved in the trade market. But those guys, quite frankly, aren't super exciting from my perspective. I think the Rangers, if you're going to go and and make a trade, why not go and try to target the, the best possible option out there, whether that's Lindholm or whether another option emerges as the playoff rice sort of comes more into clarity and we get a little more of a, a clear picture of which teams are going to be buyers and which team are going to be sellers. Obviously, I'm sure there are going to be other names who emerge in the coming weeks and the next couple months. But my main point here, without getting too bogged down in this name or that name or who the Rangers might go after, is that I do think that increasingly so, center is going to be the position that we see the Rangers target. Now, I'll wrap it up with this before we get to our interview with Shayna. I want to reiterate, no alarm bells here. I, I tweeted this the other night that even though we've seen more hiccups, we've seen the Rangers take some losses recently that sort of make you grit your teeth a little bit and sort of make you feel like, hmm, that team that we saw earlier in the season, they're not quite at that same level, at least not consistently recently. As I mentioned, 7-6 and six in their last 13 games. But I still do believe that the makings of this team, what we're seeing from this team and what we're seeing from what Peter Laviolette has implemented since he's been here, I still do believe that this is, in my five seasons covering the team at least, 
the best Rangers team that I've seen so far. The pace that they're winning at, the different star caliber players that they have in all these different spots in the lineup. I do believe that as they get healthier, a lot of these role players are going to be pretty effective role players for them as well. I, I the, the overall build of this team and the depth of this team and the way that this team has showed that they can play different styles and they can adapt to different situations and still find ways to win. All of that adds up to me still feeling very confident about where the Rangers are at and still feeling like the Rangers are on the short list of Stanley Cup contenders. But everything that we talk about when we talk about this team is going to be put not in the context of are they good enough to make the playoffs, but are they good enough to win the Stanley Cup? That is where we are at with this team. And so if it sounds like maybe we're being a little too critical of the five-on-five player being a little too critical of the bottom six given what their record is, it is because that is how we're judging this team now. We're looking at it in the sense of they want to win right now. There's no more, we're waiting for this guy to develop, we're waiting for this salary cap space to open, we maybe need to add here or add there. They do probably need to make at least one addition at the trade deadline, but this team is going for it. This team is winning at a high rate. They are atop the Metro Division standings. They've played very, very well through the first half of this season. And now the second half of the season is going to be about building toward what they hope and what I know a lot of you hope will be a playoff run. So that's sort of the context for a lot of these conversations that we're going to be having on the podcast in the next few months. And now one of those conversations is what I want to get to here. And that is with Shana Goldman of The Athletic, and that is going to hit on a lot of different topics. So again, I had a lot of fun with this one. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And here's Shana. Now let's welcome back a familiar guest and someone who I love to pick her brain when it comes to kind of assessing the whole league, but also diving in deep on the Rangers and where they stand, what some of the numbers are showing, especially now as we're creeping up on the halfway point of the season. And that would be Shayna Goldman of The Athletic. So Shayna, thank you for joining us. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. We were just saying, kind of getting back into the flow of things after that little Christmas break and and now looking toward the second half of the season. Trade deadline coming up. Playoffs will be here before you know it. A lot of games to play, obviously, until then. But we have a, a pretty solid sample size, not just for the Rangers, but for the entire NHL. And I do want to pick your brain a bit about the league. But, but let's start, obviously, with the Rangers. And just from your point of view, I have a couple specific things I want to ask you about, but as we hit this halfway point, record-wise, we know they're in a really, really good spot, but are there specific things about this team one way or another that are standing out to you, and especially maybe as you contrast the Peter Laviolette era to the Gerard Gallant era? Yeah, I think that one thing that definitely stands out is the top six. The top six is clicking it seems like they are giving players a chance to succeed. And with Gerard Gallant, sometimes players got too long of a chance and we didn't see changes when it like revolved around veterans. But it's nice to see someone like Lafreniere got the opportunity. And yes, his preseason was terrible, but they just let him cook there. And you're seeing the dividends the entire year. The fact that he's turning into an impact player that everybody wanted him to become 
is huge for the Rangers because so much of this was reliant on that. And the fact that he's not just becoming that player, but able to do it on the right side, they're one of their biggest areas of needs is absolutely huge for them. So I think that's probably the most impressive takeaway, right? We're seeing him thrive alongside another top six player, something he hasn't had the chance to do before, even though he's still barely getting power play opportunity. And he's doing so alongside Artemi Panarin. And last year and the year before, there's been so much conversation about who should fit on the right side of that line. And does it need to be someone high end? Can Panarin do everything to carry the line himself? And, you know, to an extent, yes, but we're kind of seeing how much he can click and play to his heights when you get someone that really complements his skill set, who can just get to that net front area and play the chippy game to complement his skilled approach. Yeah, and it's interesting. I want to ask you about Panarin because I think one of the things that stood out to a lot of people is how much more he's shooting this year. And we see the goals, 23 of them through 36 games. He's on pace to get right around 50. We'll see if he can keep that up. But if you look at his shots on goal, the average per game is way up. He's over four shots on goal per game on average so far this season. His career average coming into the season was like two and a half. So I asked him the other day, what what's going on? Like, why are you shooting so much? And one of the things that he mentioned among other things was the line and how on previous lines that he played on, he sort of had to be the play driver. He had to have the puck on his stick. He had to be the guy that oftentimes carried it up the ice or more specifically, once they got into the offensive zone, it was his responsibility to be the playmaker, to have the puck and sort of be that pass for a sky. We know he's an elite passer, but what we're seeing now, because he's playing with some higher-end line mates like Lafreniere and Vincent Trocek, who's having a phenomenal season, he was telling me he doesn't have to have the puck as much. He can sort of work to different spots and try to get himself open and make himself accessible as more of a shooter, which I find kind of fascinating that at this stage of his career, he's still able to sort of evolve in that role. Are you seeing anything beyond just the shot volume with Panarin? I mean, the shooting percentage is pretty close to his his career average. It's just he's shooting a lot more volume, but specifically with Panarin and maybe where he stands in the heart rates right now, where do you kind of sit on all that? Yeah, he's definitely up there in the heart conversation for me right now. And, you know, part of that too has to do with the fact that maybe – Jack Hughes hasn't popped off. I think the way we kind of expected him to be a front runner in the race, as great as he's been, and Connor McDavid had the slow start, so the field's a little more wider. But I think it's going to be an interesting race because you have guys like Pedersen and Quinn Hughes who you're going to be talking about, and Nathan McKinnon is crushing it, and Austin Matthews is doing his thing. But it's really nice to see Panarin just raising the bar of his game, which we know he can be MVP caliber. The puck moving is it's so interesting that, you know, how he acknowledges that, too, because you see that line. And yes, he's still the primary puck mover on that line. He is still leading the way with, you know, carry-ins. But he has someone like Lafreniere who is up there with his uh, zone entry volume. Yes, they're not always possession entries. They're not always as, you know, clean and perfect as Panarin's. And that's completely fine because they're able to recover pucks when they're doing that. So that's a big difference. And then you see the shot volume is up. You see the accuracy is up and it's interesting too because it's not like he's suddenly rushing closer to the net. Like he does have more quality chances. And I think his expected goal generation being up does have a lot to do with the power play and the fact that he's shooting the puck more from the right side. Um, But we're just seeing, you know, him finish his chances at a higher rate this year. If you look at the entire calendar year of 2023, he actually had the best uh, differential, the second best differential between expected and actual goals for wrist and snapshots behind Leon Dreisaitl. And it's not the first time he's been in that conversation. The last time he was, it was 2019 uh, to 2020. He was the leader with that. So it's kind of getting back to that kind of game where he can be a better scoring threat because he's 
he's more versatile. He, he's a better weapon if he's a dual threat because you don't know what to anticipate. Everyone thinks he's going to pass the puck and let someone like Trocek or Lafreniere chip it in, which you can absolutely do. But the fact that he's willing to take the shot as well, and he has two players who can move the puck to him, it just makes that line click. It adds dimension that I feel like they've been missing for so long. Yeah, and, and that nineteen twenty season you mentioned that the last time he was a heart finalist was that season. So it looks like he's kind of on that pace again right now and again scoring at a higher rate. That line has been cooking, as you said, all season long. They've definitely been the Rangers' best, especially when it comes to generating offense. But I think one of the interesting things that, that we've been kind of keeping an eye on, especially in the context of this isn't just a team that expects to make the playoffs anymore. This is a team that expects to go on a run and compete for a Stanley Cup. We had Steve Valaket on the show about a month ago, and one of the things that he was talking about was the five-on-five play, specifically the five-on-five defense. But I think even you could point to at times now with the injuries that they have, the five-on-five offense from the bottom six. You know, is there anything lacking there? The special teams against Carolina were a disappointment, but otherwise have been among the best in the league. But from a five-on-five perspective, do you have any concerns here? Or are you seeing substantial improvement under LaViolette that has you feeling more encouraged? I think that there's been improvement under LaViolette, but I still think that there are concerns emerging. Some of them are at the fault of the Rangers and some of them aren't. I think you look at that line with Blake Wheeler playing with Savannah, Jen and Kreider, and they do struggle defensively. They are outscoring expectations. I'm not sure how much that's going to keep up, but there definitely are some defensive breakdowns that are costly for them. But the biggest problem, which is partially out of their control, is the bottom six. Um, it, it's kind of like they have two fourth lines composed. And I know that they're using you know their fourth line as a matchup line, and you expect their numbers to be a little bit lower, but they really don't generate enough offensively and they really don't do enough defensively I think to make up for it so that would probably be the biggest red flag for me and losing Hedl and losing Kako or what put them in this position so we'll see when Kako returns how that changes and then you know there's the third line center question do they have someone offensive enough to be in that position if it's not going to be Hedl long term um and then I think that kind of does extend to the defense too. The defensive breakdowns we're seeing, the rise of rush chances against over the last month have definitely been a concern. The bright side is before the Carolina game, you're seeing Schuster can rise to the occasion more to mask those deficiencies, which we know him to be. And I know there was some concern about him this season, but it's like, this is an elite goalie. He's going to wake up one day and remember he is. His low, you know, his lows really aren't that lows, but I think everyone's so spoiled about the heights of his game. But you're just seeing him tested a lot more. And some of it has to do with the third pair, which is a little bit odd because we see how Eric Gustafson stepped up so much when Adam Fox was out. But, you know, I think that third pair of Gustafson and Schneider is underwhelming since they've been reunited. It's not a huge problem. It's something I'm sure they can, you know, make some adjustments and both of them can kind of settle back in. But that would be, you know, the one gap for me there. When when we think ahead, we still have over two months now to the trade deadline. The injuries are such an interesting factor here, and we don't have definitive answers. Kako, we believe, will be back before the trade deadline. Heedle is much more up in the air with the whole concussion situation, so we don't know if they'll have that LTIR money from him or not. But as you assess this roster, I think a lot of people earlier in the season felt like right wing was probably going to be their primary need at the deadline. But now as I look at it, and especially with the question marks surrounding Heedle, to me, my mindset has shifted more toward that third line center spot that you mentioned. And I tend to feel like that should be their top priority. 
at the trade deadline. And then even if Heedle does come back, at least you have some protection and some versatility there. But the other part of this conversation is, do they need more of a skilled scoring type of a player or do they need somebody who's going to help them tighten up defensively and play that successful, hardworking style that we know Peter Laviolette wants them to play come playoff time? So where do you kind of stand on, on what in your mind might be their their top trade deadline need? I, I think center is the right way to go. And the, the beauty of having a center is if you get a winger, you're not necessarily going to be able to slot them at center if you you know, need to fill that void. But if you bring in a center, you can always shift them to the wing and just add more forward versatility. If you look at, you know, past champions and contenders, you look at the center depth that they've had and they put players in different positions if they have to, to load up a top six, you know, like that, that's a strength that everybody should want to have in their lineup to, instead of being so stringent that you can't move things around. So I think center is the way to go. Someone that can play down the middle, like at minimum, but I would go for that more offensive approach. You have your bottom six defensive centers. You have someone like Nick Benino, who is very defensively minded. You have someone like Barkley Goudreau. You need someone that can push the pace of play because if you're controlling play more and you're creating more offense, that's less time in your own zone. That's less time trying to just endure the damage another team can do. You want someone who can push the pace of play. And we saw Heedle do that to some of like the best degrees we've seen him do before his injury. So, you know, obviously they can't find Heedle 2.0, but if they can find someone that brings a spark like he does, who can generate shots and, um, you know, help enter the zone, I think that'll make a big difference. And then you can kind of see how the right winger depth shakes out when Kako returns, if he's the fit for the top line, if Wheeler moves down subsequently, or if, you know, it's going to be a, a third line that has Kako as your more offensive threat, plus a center that can help him, because I don't think that he's going to be doing this all on his own. Um, I, I think that's how you round out the group a lot more. I'm going to put you on the spot and I know there's a long time to go and a lot could change as far as who's selling and who's buying and that sort of thing. But do you have any favorite centers that you're sort of keeping an eye on that you think might end up being available? I don't yet. I'm kind of curious how like the Elias Lindholm situation shakes out because I don't think he's the option for the Rangers, but you kind of see the market fall in line behind that top option. And that's, what's going to be so interesting to me. What he goes for is going to determine what a third line center would go for, because I think we see all the time centers are something teams can overpay for. And then you see things like right-handed defensemen or things teams can pay for. So if the bar gets set a little bit lower with the Lindholm trade, if that happens, I think we'll see, you know, the price for a center shift a little bit lower that maybe they can aim a little bit higher. Yeah. Lindholm is the the first name that everybody seems to mention. And it seems somewhat far-fetched for the Rangers unless the plan is going to be to have Heedle on LTIR for the rest of the regular season, in which case they probably would have enough cap space to make that happen. And then it's just a matter of how much are you willing to give up? But I do feel like they're absolutely in go for it mode. So to see them pursue one of the options at the top of the market in that situation, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying I'm predicting it, but I wouldn't rule it out. Certainly. So, a lot of time for us to talk about this more, but it's certainly something I know is on the mind of fans. And then Shana, one of the last things I want to ask you about here is just as we assess the league as a whole, the Rangers have been right near the top of the standings pretty much from start up until the point we're at right now, Boston, obviously in the Eastern conference, Carolina coming on more recently. And then out West Vegas has been really good. I'm really surprised by Vancouver and what they've been able to accomplish so far this year, but 
as you size up the league, I also know LA is a team that, especially when you talk analytics, looks really good on paper. So when you size up the NHL right now, who are maybe some of the teams that in your mind are sort of emerging as the true Stanley Cup contenders and the teams that ultimately the Rangers will have to deal with if they want to get there? I think someone like the Florida Panthers, they're going to be a team to watch. They had... They're like Boston last year in that we kind of all counted them out because of the key injuries that they had to deal with in the early goings of the season. And they just not just got by, but absolutely thrived without, you know, Brandon Montour and without Aaron Ekblad. The penalty kill has been huge for them. Their defense has been far better than I could have ever expected with someone like Oliver Ekman Larson. And you saw him have a horrible first couple games. So I think once someone like Matthew Kachuk gets going, because he has one of the worst finishing rates in the league right now that I can't see persisting the entire year, I think that they're going to be, you know, they might be able to push Boston for that top spot a little bit more. Like, there's only a four-point gap right now, but obviously Boston would have to lose games in Florida, would have to pick up the pace somewhere. They're definitely the team for me to watch in the Atlantic. The other team I feel like is starting to get cooking right now, finally, is Carolina Hurricanes, as we saw last night. Uh, they Their biggest problem the entire year has been goaltending. And it's the injured goaltenders um, and trying to work around that. And usually they're fine because their defense is so, so, so strong that they can get through whatever they need to. And that just wasn't the case. I would be super shocked if they don't, you know, look for a goalie to have an extra option. Beside, you know, even if Anderson comes back, I think it would help to have at this point. And I'd be surprised if they don't I, – no, I shouldn't even say I would be surprised. I would go for another forward if I were them. Um, they sometimes just go for defense, even though they don't need it. But it's going to be really intriguing to see how they shake out because they look a lot better. They look a lot more complete these last few games. Even the power play, which isn't always, like, the biggest threat for them, looks a lot stronger. So those are the two Eastern teams that, like, I would definitely have my eye on. And then West, is is Vegas the clear favorite for you, or do you have someone else you like a lot? Um, Vegas, the goaltending is a little bit of a concern. Like it's a team that they've gotten by with average goaltending before, but we really don't know what the deal is with Aiden Hill and the Shea Theodore injury. Like on top of that is a little bit more concerning Vancouver. I still have a couple of sustainability concerns. I think what they're doing is great and wonderful. Like, I think that they're a good team, but there's a difference between being the team to beat and being what they are for me. LA definitely stands out. Uh, I, I, Still don't know how Cam Talbot's game is going to look in the second half of the season. Not to discount what he's done in the first half, but like aging goalies, things like that. Goalies with iffy track records. But they look really good. Colorado, once again, looks really good. And I feel like they have a really smart front office to address any little needs that they have, which is the difference between them versus maybe a team like Vancouver, especially when you talk about like cap flexibility. But, you know, I still like the Dallas Stars a lot. And even Winnipeg's been better than I've than I've expected. I feel like we've hyped up so many Pacific Division teams this year, and rightfully so, because the top three is so good. But I feel like the Central Division, like their top three, is really formidable too. Very interesting. Going to be a lot of teams, I think, in the mix. And things will obviously sort of sort themselves out and, and bring some clarity to the situation in the coming months. Last thing, just because this is going to be the big topic on Thursday – Connor Bedard coming to MSG for the first time. It'll be Rangers fans first up close look at him. It'll be my first up close look at him. You look at the numbers. He's almost at a point per game. Obviously I see the highlights all the time. It looks like he's very much living up to the hype, but just your impressions of this rookie, this number one overall pick and what he's been able to do so far and and what the Rangers are going to be dealing with on Thursday night. He is such a good player already at this level. And it's, 
so impressive when you consider who he's playing with and who he's playing up against. He is one of the toughest workloads for like a top player. You know, generally a team wants to shelter that kind of player more like the Blackhawks can't, can't, they simply can't. Like he's going to get top defensive matchups because he's the player everybody wants to shut down. And they're having a hard time doing it despite the fact that he hasn't, doesn't have really great players around him. You know, the Taylor Hall experiment didn't quite work out because of injuries. Someone like Ryan Donato, who he's played a little bit better with, who, and I think Donato raised his game to play with him. They've kept apart um, for their own reasons. So you're seeing someone like Felino play with Bedard, which is like a little unconventional and less than ideal, but he is everything. I think that he was hyped up to be and more. So in his minutes, it's going to be something to watch at all times, what he's going to do. He has such a deceptive shot when he's off the ice night and day difference of what any team would match up against. And that's when you expect a team like the Rangers to absolutely dominate in their minutes. And, you know, it's easy to kind of play on your heels because it's the Blackhawks. And, you know, it's the same thing with the Sharks. And we saw a handful of teams do that where it felt like they went, we have a good lead. It doesn't matter. This is the Sharks. Like, you can't do that with the Blackhawks. But to to really, like, nail a game like that, it's just try to kill it in the minutes Bedard isn't on the ice and try to push the pace you know, as much as you can offensively, because you might be playing a little bit more defense when he's, you know, up against you. Mm. Awesome, Shane. I do appreciate it. I'm excited to watch him. I'm excited to see how the rest of the season plays out. And I appreciate you for basically being able to answer anything I throw (laughs) at you. So, so thanks again for taking the time. And I'm sure we'll talk again somewhere down the line. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are back, and I am back. Thanks again to Shayna for taking the time to have that chat with us this afternoon. And full disclosure, I had already recorded what was supposed to be the final segment of this week's podcast earlier this afternoon, and then there I was thinking the podcast was done. I had done my interview with Shayna. I had recorded both of my parts. I had answered the Twitter questions that I intended to answer this week. And I was, quite frankly, in the sink with my sleeves rolled up. I won't get too graphic for you guys, but I was preparing a roast chicken for the family tonight. So I was cleaning the chicken and seasoning the chicken and, and doing all that stuff. I, I really come to enjoy doing those over the years and seasoning them differently and playing with the recipes and the temperatures and all that stuff. You guys know I like to cook. And meanwhile, I noticed out of the corner of my eye at one point while my hands are touching raw chicken that my phone had buzzed, but I didn't think too much of it. It's five o'clock or so on a Wednesday evening. The Rangers were done for the day as far as I knew And I was planning on having a relaxing night with the family, but as it goes sometimes with this job, once I finally finished what I was doing with the chicken, washed my hands, and went to check what was going on with the phone, I saw that I got a text from a source indicating that a move was being made and the Rangers were in fact recalling prospect Brennan Othman. I won't go as so far as to say their top prospect. Those of you who follow, and I know many of you do, know that we ranked him as the second overall prospect in the organization when we did our annual organizational prospect rankings over the summer. But quite clearly, I think in the eyes of most people, the top prospect with 
the Hartford Wolf Pack this season. The guy who we ranked number one is Gabe Perot, who, oh, by the way, if you've had a chance to watch any of the World Juniors so far this year, is tearing it up for Team USA, which is now heading to the semifinals in that tournament. So Perot is our number one guy, but Othman was number two. And Othman, being two years older and now in his first season as a pro, is clearly closest of those top prospects to the NHL. One of our Twitter questions that I had actually answered in the previous segment was about when the Rangers might consider calling him, among other prospects, up this season. And it kind of came out of nowhere that it happened today, but what I also came to find out in talking to a source is that the Rangers are dealing with another injury right now. Tyler Pitlick, who has been a staple on that fourth line for most of the season. He came out for a stretch earlier in the year when the Rangers still had Philip Hedl and Capo Caco healthy. But since those guys have gone down, Pitlick has inserted into the lineup and has played very consistently on the fourth line. And quite frankly, I think been a pretty effective player for that role for the Rangers. But he's apparently dealing with a lower body injury that he suffered in that Tuesday loss to the Hurricanes. And I was told it looks like a week-to-week thing. So it sounds like he could miss some significant time, at least a few games. It sounds like so. What do the Rangers do? Well, they decided that this was the time to give Othman a look. The timing is interesting in some ways and maybe I guess to be expected in others. We've seen them cycle through a lot of different guys when these call-ups have happened this season. We knew the first guy up was going to be Johnny Brodzinski and he's obviously been a regular in the lineup since some of these injuries occurred. But after Brodzinski, it was kind of up in the air who the next man up from Hartford would be. We saw Adam Edstrom get that one game look where he looked pretty good, quite frankly. And he's a little bit older than Othman, definitely more physically developed at this point, but clearly not of the same upside or level when you talk about skill and pedigree and all that sort of stuff. Edstrom is a sixth-round pick from 2019. Othman was a first-round pick in 2021. So maybe you would have thought they would have called on Edstrom in this situation, especially because he plays the same position at right wing as Pitlick and as a guy who I think a lot of people view as an effective fourth line type. So they could have went to Edstrom in this situation. They decided not to. They go with Othman and said, we've also seen them call up Riley Nash for a brief one game sample earlier this season. We've seen them sort of cycle through that next wave of forwards. But the whole time we knew that if it really came to the point where the Rangers wanted to explore an option that they felt like could be a regular in their lineup, maybe for the rest of the season. And then certainly in the long term, Othman of all the options that they have in Hartford right now projects as the most likely to be an impact NHL player. Well, now the time has come where they're going to give him that look. So there are still a lot of questions up in the air as far as exactly how he'll be used. I have a couple thoughts on that. We've talked before about the whole left wing, right wing thing. It was such an ongoing kind of not mind boggling, but it became almost numbing conversation that we had with Alexi Lafreniere when 
He, we knew, was a natural left winger, but the Rangers kept going back and forth on whether or not they were going to play him on right wing. Othman has played exclusively left wing really his whole life. I know that's where he played at the junior level, and I know that's where he's played exclusively for Hartford this season. Pitlick is a right winger, so it's not exactly an apples-to-apples thing here. Othman has expressed a willingness to try to play right wing in the past, so we'll see if the Rangers are going to ask him to do that on the fly at the NHL level. I kind of doubt it. I feel like somebody else is going to be shifting to the right side, whether that means Jimmy VC might be doing it. Uh, another thought that I had is that what the Rangers might consider doing here is dropping Nick Benino now down to the fourth line, in which case you can slot Barclay Goudreau over to the right side where he has experience and keep Jimmy VC at left wing. And then that's your new fourth line. And then you insert Othman onto that third line. Now we say third line just because that's the order that they skate when they're doing warm-up rushes. But really, if you look at the usage in recent weeks, that fourth line has mostly been logging more minutes and definitely been drawing some tougher assignments. When you look at matching up against the top forwards for the opposing team a lot. So it would almost maybe make some sense if they make that matchup line now VC, Benino, and Goudreau, which is what they had for a stretch earlier in the season. And then that would leave the, whether you want to call it third line, fourth line, I think they would probably see very limited minutes in a lot of regards and until they earn more. But it's not crazy to think that maybe Othman ends up playing with Will Cooley and Johnny Brodzinski, which are the two players on this Rangers roster that he has the most familiarity with. He played with Cooley on Team Canada in the World Juniors a couple years ago. I know those two are friendly. And he got some experience playing with Brodzinski earlier this season with Hartford. And when I went to visit with Hartford around Thanksgiving, Othman told me that Brodzinski was one of the older players that he was looking up to as a role model, spending time picking his brain and learning from. So I know that there was a little bit of a relationship brewing there as well. So I kind of wonder if maybe that's the way the Rangers go, because Brodzinski can play center. He mostly played center with Hartford. So maybe they reconfigure things that way. Again, you would come back then to having to make that decision of, whether it's Cooley or whether it's Othman, does one of those guys switch to their offhand side and play an unnatural position on the right wing? They might be hesitant to do that, especially in Othman's case, considering now he's about to make his NHL debut. Are you going to ask him to do that at a position that he's rarely played and to my knowledge has not played so far this season? So maybe they Stay away from that, but I, I I do in the back of my mind think it's a possibility. We'll find out Thursday morning at the morning skate in the lead-up to that game against the Chicago Blackhawks. The other option would be you plug Othman in on the fourth line where Pitlick was, except I think VC would probably be the guy that moves over to the right wing, and you let Othman stay on his natural left-wing side. So we'll see how they decide now, Peter LaViolette, to arrange this bottom six, but one way or another, Othman is going to come into this Rangers lineup now because the Rangers don't have any other healthy forwards. Losing Pitlick dropped them down to 11 healthy forwards. Getting Othman up now gives them 12. So those are the 12 that you know are going to play unless they decide to go 11 and 7 with 
seven defensemen, Zach Jones coming in. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So for Othman now, wh- whichever line it's on, you're going to get an opportunity. And I'm curious to see how this opportunity looks. We saw this happen last year with Will Cooley, where he was playing pretty well with Hartford, and the Rangers gave him a short little taste, a couple little cups of coffee, if you will, in the NHL, but never really let him roll for you know multiple weeks at a time. It was kind of just a, a way to give him a glimpse of what it was like leading up to this season now when he made the team out of training camp and has been a rookie and a regular in the lineup. So maybe this is just a little taste for Othman, but this could also be an opportunity for him to put his stamp on this. We talked earlier in the show about the trade deadline and what the Rangers might prioritize there. Well, if Othman comes up and plays well, that could be even more incentive for Chris Drury to say, you know what, wing is not a priority for us. We feel comfortable with where we're at. We have Capo Caco coming back, and now we have this young top prospect in Brennan Othman who's showing that he's capable of playing at the NHL level. If that happens, I think that would be even more of a reason for the Rangers to say center is our number one priority at the trade deadline. So this is a chance for Othman to start to carve out a role, to at least make a good impression here and show them that he can be an option for them down the stretch. If he falters, if he struggles, if it becomes clear that he needs more seasoning in the AHL, well, that will also give the Rangers some valuable information as they move forward toward the trade deadline. But to this point, my understanding is that they have been mostly pleased with what they've seen from Othman with Hartford. The point production ha- has mostly been there, 23 points through 28 games played, so j- just short of a point per game there, nine goals, 14 assists. He hasn't scored a goal, I think, in eight or nine games now, but he has gotten a handful of assists in that span. And if you look at it, he leads the team by a wide margin with 95 shots on goal. So the guy is shooting the puck a lot. Maybe he's running into some bad luck. Maybe there's a little bit of refinement as far as shot placement or shot location or things of that nature. Obviously, I'm wrapped up in what's happening with the Rangers and not watching a lot of Hartford games. So I don't know for sure why more of those shot attempts haven't resulted in goals. But the overall numbers, again, 23 points in 28 games, that's solid, especially for a guy who's playing in his first pro season. The offensive skills are not the question here. That has not really been the concern with Othman at any point. He's been productive at pretty much every level he's played. The reason that we've talked about, and I talked to Othman about this as well, that he was sent to the minors to begin the season are the other aspects of his game. Specifically defensively, that is something that I know scouts have questioned, and I know the Rangers wanted to see him become a more complete player in that regard, become a more defensively sound player. So that has been a sticking point with Hartford. And when I talked to Steve Smith, the interim coach there, he said that he feels pleased with the way that Othman has committed himself to that and the effort that he's giving in those areas. The quote that I just included in the story that we got up online about Othman is, I see someone who's determined. I see someone that wants to learn. 
I see someone that has all the attributes to be a good player. So the impression that I got from Smith was that Othman is doing everything that's asked of him. Are there growing pains? Sure. If you look simply, you don't have a lot of advanced analytics to look at for Hartford or for the AHL. So if you're looking at a simple stat like plus minus, he's a minus six. So obviously he's been on ice for a lot of goals against. And I still don't think that anybody is sitting here and saying that defense is a strength of his game. But if his effort is there and he's increasingly becoming more reliable in those areas, the Rangers don't need him to be a Selkie Trophy winner. They don't need him to be a shutdown guy, but they need to know that they're not going to get burned from him not taking care of his own end. And so this is going to be another chance for him to prove that he's ready to do that and be that as cliche as it sounds, he's mentioned this to me, and I know this is a phrase that comes up in the organization a lot, that 200-foot player. They want to see him being responsible in all three zones. And Othman put it this way, they want to see him shake the junior habits. And that's all the little details of the game, whether it's breakouts, whether it's being available for passes, whether it's putting the puck in the right places, whether it's knowing when to try to make a risky play and knowing when to keep things simple, whether it's chasing down and puck retrieval, whether it's getting to the front of the net, all these little things that we talk about, forechecking, backchecking, those are the areas that I think are going to be under the most scrutiny here with Othman. It's not about can this guy be a good offensive player. That is what he's hung his hat on for years. And he's also proven that he's willing to be physical. Smith talked about this as well on my visit with Hartford. He'll throw some checks. He's not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to throw his body around. But are you doing it at the right times? And are you taking care of all of the other little things? Are you avoiding costly mistakes? That is going to be the type of stuff that I feel like the Rangers are going to be really watching closely with Othman. And those are the areas of his game where I feel like he's going to need to prove himself here in order to earn the trust to get more of a concrete role moving forward. This ETA is a little bit earlier than expected, but the Rangers' injuries have mounted with that forward group, Hedl, Kako, and now Pitlick. And so they needed someone to step up. And again, I think this is going to be viewed as a bit of an information gathering period for the Rangers to get a look at this prospect, get a look at the player that of all the players with Hartford right now, the one who has the best chance of really becoming an impact player and use that information as we head toward the trade deadline and they decide what their priorities are going to be. So I do see this as a big opportunity for Othman. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. I'm not sure exactly how he's going to be used, although I don't think he's going to be thrust right into the top six. I do think you're going to see limited minutes. I think you're going to see him eased in here for sure. But what he does with this opportunity will dictate where he stands from an organizational standpoint for the rest of this season. Big picture, next year, I still think he's going to have a really good opportunity to make the team. But He obviously wants to be here now. The Rangers have some increasing needs right now with the lack of production from the bottom six and the injuries that they're dealing with. So this is the first crack for Othman. An exciting time for him. And interestingly, his birthday is coming up. So nice little birthday gift for him. He'll turn 21 on Friday. So don't lose sight of that. 
This is still a very, very young player, but it's a player that we've been hearing about for a few years. It's a player who has certainly risen to be one of the top prospects in the organization. I think most people believe he's one of the top two. And now you guys are going to get an up-close look at him. So that's exciting. That's cool. It interrupted my night a bit, but for good reason. And so, yeah, I decided to come back and re-record this final segment of the podcast. Unfortunately, that other segment that I recorded, we may never hear that one, but this Othman News took precedent in my mind, and I wanted to make sure before I uploaded the podcast to include some instant reaction to that. So with that, I am going to end this week's episode. We will get our first look at Brendan Othman on Thursday. We will get our first look at Connor Bedard on Thursday, and we will have the Rangers trying to bounce back from that loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. So a lot to look forward to on Thursday. You guys will be hearing this podcast in the lead-up to that game, and I will be back again next week with a new episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves, and I will talk to you next week.